Steve. You may have seen him yesterday, and he's awesome. And so this is like his his uh, table. I'm going to have to give him credit, you know. I mean, yeah. I don't know where he got it. or It's great, yeah. And, uh, it's a beautiful, and the space is, yeah. And it's huge. So I went to um, just kind of walking around yeah. so it opens up back there. It does. Oh, my gosh. There's so many people in this building that I don't even realize. I'm like, I mean, I know, like, right next door, okay, but... Yeah. Well, I hear the dings going off. I'm like, more people coming in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, or deliveries, yeah. I'd like to welcome everybody back to Alabama Care. Today, we have Mrs. Ashley Ray, the founder of Ray Law LLC, and we're going to be talking about advocating for individuals facing discrimination in the workplace and in the school environments. And at this point, I'd like to hand it over. Mrs. Ray, if you would introduce yourself. Yes. Um, my name is Ashley Ray. I'm an attorney. I... Um, as stated, I specialize in employment law and disability discrimination in school uh, as well. So I, um, I also, I mean, just for disclosure, I have my own physical limitations. Um, I have arthrogryposis. I just throw that out there because it's a unique and, um, disease that others that have it, they love when they hear that. They're like, oh my gosh, me too. So, um, but I, um... I own Ray Law LLC, started it about uh, three years ago, maybe four, three or four years ago. It's time flies. Um, so I'm just really excited to be talking to you today. Yeah, we appreciate you, yeah. you know, giving us the time this morning. And um, I always like to ask, are you originally from Alabama? I am. So I am from Birmingham. I grew up here. Um, I went to uh, Cobb Heights Elementary School in the Birmingham area and then Vestavia High School. And uh, we, I feel like it was one of the first questions that I was asked when I moved to Alabama <laughs> is who do you root for in the college football? Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. All right. So I am an <laughs> Alabama fan. Um, I went to Birmingham Southern College for my undergrad. So I don't even necessarily have a claim, but my uh, family member, my grandfather was really into Alabama football. So I know you have to take a side. Yeah, you and if you don't, and people are just thinking, what's wrong with you? <laughs> my youngest brother played for South Alabama, so I kind of get away with it by saying, go Jags. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> kind of walked the line there, but I feel like on the big day, you got to pick your team. Yeah, yeah, So that's true. Um, so Ray Law uh, started about four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, did you always know that you wanted to be an attorney growing up and that you wanted to have your own practice? Um, so I, I'm actually the first attorney in my family, So, um, which is interesting and neat. So... I did not know that I wanted to be an attorney growing up. I've always been a people person, and I've always enjoyed um, service, I guess, in general. And going into college at Birmingham Southern, I really thought um, I would do something more maybe public policy, like working in the government, maybe being some kind of, you know, oh, lobbyist is a bad word, but in a, for a good cause, you know, for disability rights, for instance. And then... Um, and then in college, I had a course that really kind of helped change my direction and where it was based in some legal uh, history of the Constitution, basically. And so that geared, steered me towards wanting to go to law school in general. Um, and then in law school, I really just took a class that was discrimination law. It was specifically employment discrimination, and it just really resonated with me. I loved it so much. I was a nerd about it. I mean, I just enjoyed reading the cases. And so, um, you, you know, get, go ahead. Yeah. You get hooked into something like that. It doesn't seem like work anymore or schoolwork. It seems more play. It, yes, exactly. I mean, I would love to read the cases and I mean, just 
you know, highlight all these color-coded intensely, you know, I just loved it. It just was something about it really spoke to me. Um, and I would say for, you know, I feel like we put a lot of pressure on the young kids, uh, uh, teenagers to decide at 17, 18, what they're going to do for the rest of their life. And it's like, you got to try a bunch of things. And then when it clicks, it'll click for you. That's exactly right. I mean, I had, like I said, I had no idea I wanted to be an attorney. Um, and I would say like, really go with what you, what clicks with you and you may not find it right away and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, don't be discouraged just cause some other person seems to have it figured out. Yeah. I'm 35. I think I've had probably 10 jobs. I'm but still trying to I'm figure it out. I'm still trying to figure it out. Okay. But you're right. Yeah. Um, I'd like to acknowledge Sarah Williams for being with us here today in the chat and watching. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah is also a content creator for Alabama care. So uh, she does it. broadcast on her yeah. own. Now you mentioned that you took a class. It was the history of the constitution in yes. college. Uh, was there anything specific that popped out from the Constitution that you were like? Yeah, so we, when we got to cases that are landmark U.S. Supreme Court civil rights cases, so everything from religious freedom to, you know, racial segregation, um, there was something about just the way that the courts were involved in, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to get any kind of political, okay, because you could, I, I respect both opinions on courts being involved in social issues, but for me, it was just that, wow, here's the Supreme Court, uh, there's one case, this is not a disability case, but like Tinker or something, <laughs> my professor watches this, so this. <laughs> but it's about a religious freedom, okay, and so, you know, the Supreme Court saying when you can exercise like a religious type demonstration, mm. and I just was so struck by the idea that the courts, um, the highest court in our land is getting involved in certain circumstances in our social and civil right, and protect, particularly, I should say, protecting our freedoms, mm -hmm. our liberties, um, which circling back to disability, you know, it means individuals with disability having a right to live their life to the fullest. So I won't... So I'll talk more about that a little bit, but yeah. Um, um, so reading the cases when we read, went through the cases that really clicked. Yeah, so it really struck you that yeah. maybe the the highest the Supreme Court the highest law on the land yeah. was getting involved in some things that didn't seem like really fell on their plate. Right, uh, and I mean you know, and that's exactly how some people feel, and I respect you know, but but they have and they've continued to since the 1950s, especially well, really before, but as far as being protecting civil liberties since the 60s, mm. late 50s, they have been pretty active in that active, area. So not always agreeing with civil liberties, but been active. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, I had the opportunity to sit down with Mr. Courtney Tarver, who was um, the associate commissioner of Department of Mental Health when I first got to Alabama. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that came out of that conversation that really stuck with me is you know, I was trying to understand the community and being right. new and, and trying to do the best for my aunt and really yeah. learn. And um, he said that um, disability rights are civil rights. And so this is still, you know, we're still fighting some of the things that we've been fighting for the past, yes. you know, 50 years, stuff like that. So it really struck home that, that sentence that he said to me. Yeah. Now you mentioned um, that Ray Law kind of focuses on workplace and school environments. Mm -hmm. Why did you pick those two? Right. So to me, both of those areas are fundamental into some for someone to be able to live a fully independent life that i say that both from my own personal experience and then just working with families and individuals um 
I mean, from my, I was, I mean, I'll go back into just my own personal history to give an example. I mean, I had an awesome family behind me, but I was in, especially from high school beyond, really throughout, was integrated, you know, and mainstreamed, as they would say, into the classroom. And then obviously, you know, I went to college. And I say that because I, I can sit here and say, I don't know what I would have done what my what my life would look like now if I had not been given those opportunities, if I had not had the law there mm. for my family to stand on maybe when the schools weren't being cooperative or um, just the fact that I had those opportunities, you know, I had to get the education to get where I am today, okay? And even if you don't go on to college, because college isn't for everybody, right? Um, even people with maybe more intellectual disabilities, it doesn't just the you know school I, I could go on and on about school um but you know school is our first place it where we learn about society and and how society works it's like a it's like a a mini version of society i think a lot of educators would tell you that sort of you know especially elementary school age yeah and you get to see how you function with other kids exactly. and it's figuring the first, out right, the social the first, norms exactly it's the first time you kind of you know more or less go outside of your family your immediate family into the rest of the world. So it's so important, the messages that you receive, good or bad. So, you know, really det determine a lot from, of people's life path and especially people with disabilities. And then for employment, it's very similar because employment, it's like, you know, it's our adult way of figuring out where do I fit in into this society mm -hmm. that we have. And, so, and yeah, and it, um, it, it uh, I think a lot of people sometimes identify with the school or with the the employment that they have, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it can mean a lot there, and it brings a lot of confidence, um, you know, to yourself if you're doing what you want to in school and you're doing what you want yes. to in work, and it's a good fit there. Um, and there's a lot of um, you know push behind disability employment. Yes. Uh, and I did hear that throughout the pandemic, that's something that has been on the rise. Um, with the shortage of workers, there's been other opportunities that employers are, are kind of getting outside and, and yes. looking for. Yeah, so um, it's, with employment especially, it does tend to be people's identity. We really just, we are this, well, I do X, you know. Uh, as far as within the pandemic, I do want to say yes, as far as employers being a little more open-minded, um, you know, one thing in the, a lot of uh, an employment case about disability is accommodations, right? Mm -hmm. And one would frequently be working from home, even, you know, so working remotely, even just part-time. And honestly, pre-pandemic, that was seen as uh, an undue burden, what they would call an undue burden under the law. Repeatedly, it was a very common argument on the employment employer side of things. Um, and... And now, obviously, I don't think I have to explain much. We're working remotely has become the norm for everybody. And so that's been an interesting thing to watch. That's just one example. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine we probably yeah. get Zoom in the Webster's Dictionary as like the word of the year. <laughs> I know, right? Everybody knows yeah, it now. Yeah. But just going through that process and hearing that, what you're saying is it reminds me of other stories where um, an individual needs to kind of adapt a device or anything mm -hmm. like that, or maybe a designer's thinking about a universal accessibility. Right. And what they find out is um, that it benefits everybody that's going to come in contact with that product or with that service. 
And so yeah. being adaptable to individuals and what their needs are, mm -hmm. maybe that's working from home. Some of these companies would have found that out before the pandemic. I know. Saved a bunch of money on office space. I know. That's what I'm saying. And then also all the cases, even beyond Alabama, across the nation, I guarantee you uh, all the individuals bringing a disability claim the employees that they their case was did not turn out for them. And it was based on this idea that working from home was an undue burden. And that kind of, I mean, that kind of fights me up a yeah. little bit, right? But but you're absolutely right. And I, I, I don't mean to take run off here, but one thing you said was that how it can touch and affects every, it's better for everybody. And that's one thing about disability in general is that, you know, I, I have, you know, my limitations are from birth, since birth. And I know many are, but then they're, Disability is something that affects everyone. If you are, can live to the ripe old age, exactly. <laughs> everybody. Um, I think that Dr. Graham Sisson has a, a saying yes. that I heard is, uh, "You're just waiting to get to that point eventually." Exactly, something and so that was a good point. Yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, we had an opportunity to be at United Ability uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago, and they have a preschool kind of thing, which is very integrated. Oh, awesome. um, and I always said, you know, I don't have any children of my own, but right. uh, I would love for that experience for them uh, because I feel like it can make yeah. such a big difference. And a lot of times, I feel like maybe the pushback um, from either individuals or organizations are just because they don't have experience. Mm -hmm. It's something yeah. new. And whenever anybody goes to something new, they can be a little bit fearful. Um, it's just yeah. not, not comfortable yet. And so right. the earlier you can have those interactions, the more often it, it it's better for everybody, uh, growing up in that environment. Yeah. So. And I think to build off of what you just said, sometimes it's the emphasis I've found like in litigation, um, and, and, and this just applies on life, I think to inclusion in general, sometimes focusing on how different and the person with a disability is can backfire or can actually make it harder. Um, because sometimes it can be seen, it can both in school and work, it can seem like, yeah, you are different and you're so different. I mean, I don't believe, but you know, you're so different that the, it's just too much for us to try and include you. I'm saying it kind of broadly here, but that's kind of can be a hurdle. Yeah. And so sometimes I approach it as an attorney even, and I think it could be just, even if I wasn't being an attorney, of saying, no, you know, yes, we do need X, Y, Z to happen, but it's really not, It, it look, it's gonna benefit the broader group. It's really not too different than where it's really gonna shake up your entire thing you got going on here. So, I mean, and so that's one thing I'd, yeah, I think should be noted because I, I think as a community, we do tend to emphasize how unique we are, which is good because I think being unique is awesome, you know, but as far as being inclusive, sometimes it is about, no, you know what? We're actually more alike than you think. Mm -hmm. And using that language to get that point across. Right. Um, yeah. And the inclusion there. Now, something that you did say um, was knowing the law when mm -hmm. you were younger and having self-advocacy for yourself and maybe some family advocacy there. Mm -hmm. If the schools weren't cooperating, can you talk about the importance of understanding your rights, especially at a young age? Yeah, and so I would say, I mean, I definitely have to give huge props to my family, especially my mom. Um, and then obviously as I got older too, high school and then college age and beyond. Um, but knowing, you need to know just what the law says. Mm. Um, so I'm going to give away my age a little bit. But when I was in elementary school, 
the, aid, the Americans with Disabilities Act, of course, there were special education laws that had been in place for a couple of decades, mm -hmm. right? But the ADA was relatively new when I was in elementary school. So I don't, it was almost like a revitalization, even though there had been other laws in place for quite a time. But anyways, it was, I think, especially important for my mom and other family members to be aware of the, you know what, there's this, these law, this law out there or laws. And I, you know, even if she don't know, you don't know the exact details of the law, but you know that you have rights. Mm -hmm. um, to not be afraid to say respectfully, I think that this needs to happen because it's the best for my child. So I, I mean, I'm thinking of like elementary and middle school age and even high school, honestly, you know, families should be informed. Mm -hmm. And that's tough because a lot yeah. of that um, can seem like jargon. Yes. And you know, if you yes, go through the ADA, yeah. it's not a thin, it's not a one page. Sheet. No, oh my gosh. It's a lot to digest. And I think it's important to, to have others that are, um, you know, aware of that and can translate it, uh, you know, to, to anybody for the understanding there, but to have that ammo, you know, to say, look, school, this isn't, this is what I need. Um, mm -hmm. and here is the support from our government that says exactly. you guys need to yeah. provide this support for us here. Go ahead. I, I just would like to have, um, a couple concrete examples of what a case may look like in the workplace and the school environment. So it could be like somebody's, yeah. you know, in school or in the work environment, not knowing that they have a potential case. And they're like, oh, that is a potential case. Well, that's a great question. So for me, I, um, you know, people, when they get to me, when they're contacting me from the employment perspective, unfortunately, it's usually when they've been terminated. But I can go and point out, point out for the audience some things that, it's, it, you know, in hindsight, if they had known to say X, Y, Z at this time, maybe they would have never even had to get to me. Yeah. So a good concrete example would be, um, let's say that you have um, extreme, I'm going to, you know, a lot of times there's multiple disabilities going on, right? So let's say you have extreme anxiety and then some mobility issues um, in your legs. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. Yeah. And so you start working, you do work in an office setting. So you mainly work at a computer, um, doing you know, X, Y, Z work on the computer for eight hours a day, seven to eight hours. Right. And you just start to notice though, that you really just can't sit there for too long because your, your, your legs starts hurting. And then also just sitting in one place makes you really anxious. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just as an example. So, so um, a lot of times people, because they, they want to be a good employee, sometimes they won't say anything, but they might, Ooh, I got to take a break. They start taking breaks. They don't ask for an accommodation. Mm. Um, maybe either because they don't know they can or there's stigma, unfortunately, even though there's all these policies that are open. Yes, please ask for accommodation. But, um, and so then maybe to, at a certain point, this is going on, you keep taking these breaks for your leg, your anxiety, okay? Um, and maybe you do it at some point, go and talk to the supervisor and say, look, I'm gonna need an accommodation here. You disclose what's going on, you know, about your mobility and your anxiety. Um, and so at that point, you're now engaging what they call an interactive process. That's, they use that term both at work and in school. Um, and what kind of ends up happening though is that the employer at that point can really see it their their story later on right when it get things go sideways 
is that, well, but see, they had already been doing XYZ, not great stuff, and it was causing a backlog on our work, okay? Um, and so when we didn't know, we didn't know, because sometimes maybe they don't. Yeah. Okay, so just basically, and so then what ends up happening is that there's been this, you know, bad things written up on someone's file, so to speak, and and then the interactive process breaks down, mm-hmm. um, and that person will get terminated. So that doesn't, nobody wants that to happen, right? So what I would say from employment is, I, you know, you have to be careful. I don't want to say disclose every time. I don't want to say that, but. Um, you ha- it goes back to what you said a moment ago, what we were talking about with knowing your rights. And you do need to just basically, it's kind of letting the employer know, and the school too, I know my rights. And so if you say you get hired and you know, like I, it's, maybe it's not even all the time, but I have anxiety and, and mobility issues. If you think that it might affect your work, Maybe, you know, just the things like I might need a break. I might need 15 minutes every two hours, what, you know, what have you. Um, go ahead and tackle that at the beginning mm-hmm. because A, you're legally protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you have protection regardless, but that's really putting a stamp on it. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and in school, I mean, I don't, I know we're, I don't want to take up too much time, but it's kind of basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Knowing your rights and, and exercising them from the get-go. Which is hard when you don't know what they are sometimes, but... I feel like a lot of that stems from knowing your rights. So exactly. You have to know your rights and then you can kind of build upon that. Exactly. And as you're going through that, you were saying, you know, maybe don't disclose everything that you've... Mm-hmm. Whatever you're comfortable with there. Right. Um, but even in school and at work, it would be like, hey, school, I know that you want people to graduate your school mm-hmm. with A's, B's, you know, do very right. well, be active, go on to great uh, universities. In order for me to do that... These are the things that I need to do to help you look good as a school. Right. And then also in the workplace. Hey, work. I yes. know that you want to do these things. Right. You want to grow. You want to do right. this. I want you to do that as well. I'm on your team. In order for me to be the best person for you to yes. achieve those, these are the things that I need to help you reach your goals. And so I think framing it there a little bit yes. is is a good way um, instead of like, you know, I, I need these or else kind of thing. And just saying yes. like... We're a team, and if you want the best out of me, I need these things to get to give you guys what you yes, want. Yes, exactly. That's actually an excellent way to put it because, and that's how, like, I'm coming at it from the back end where things have just fallen apart. But an employer, and and I think schools too, but especially I can say from an employment perspective, when you approach them at the beginning, um, it, it can be more of an air of we're working together because I see. And whereas if you wait or it gets down to the, oh gosh, it's really a problem now. And now I'm going to talk to you about my accommodations because there's big issues in production or what have you. The employer, unfortunately, even if it's not the case, will see it as you're not on our side here. You're not on the team. Yeah. You're causing problems. I mean, it's not necessarily accurate, but it's like you said. It's the perception, perception of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of is communication. Right. So yeah. relationships, that kind of stuff is really good there. Yeah. But it all kind of builds upon having the confidence and knowing your rights. Right. And having that self-advocacy there. Yeah. Uh, it's very important. It's really important. Such a, a young age as well. Yeah. You talked about asking for accommodations. It reminded me, I have a family member that um, got extra time for tests in college. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it really made a difference for her. Yeah, it can. I mean, and so something like that, extra time for tests, 
I mean, that can make a huge difference. I've encountered, you know, young people, maybe un college age, that they could have that accommodation, uh, and they think, but I don't want to go through all that asking, la, la, la. And, but then, uh, come exam time, maybe they really, really struggle. And that's kind of when it's like, oh, I need, to, the, I need to be exercising my rights. And that's when it becomes important to have done it at the appropriate. Yeah. No, she, so this family member, she's <laughs> yeah. way smarter than I am, oh, um, yeah. but she focuses on trying to get everything 100% yes, all the I time. I can relate and, to that. And yeah. it takes her a little bit longer, but you know, you ask her anything, she'll blow me out of the water. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you need to ask for those accommodations there. Um, I have a question. Alabama is a right to work state. So how does that work? So, yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because I get asked that all the time. Um, yes, Alabama is a right to work state, meaning, uh, you know, your employer can fire you for any reason or no reason at all. But the, that is Alabama state law. Okay. Um, what we've been referencing today are federal laws. Which override. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's, it, there's exactly these laws override the right to work. You know, it's not all across the board, but when it comes to discrimination, whether it's disability and then other things like gender, race, et cetera, but as far as your rights as a, an individual with disability, the federal laws are what control, okay? Um, not the Alabama's right to work. Uh, now, I mean, I'm going to try to make a middle road, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, we were talking about how like being a, like coming together here, it's not like a, you know, blank card for just getting anything you want, but yeah. it is a protection. Don't think that because just... Alabama is a right to work state that you don't have protection. Mm. Cause I've heard that right to work before. And then you were saying, you know, a lot of the yeah. times when you take on cases, it's cause the individual uh, has been fired or dismissed. Yeah. And then I've thought like, you know, what would the company say? They're going to say it's a right to work state, but then you come back with, you know, this is. Yeah. I mean, usually, <laughs> usually the em employer's not saying it's, a right it's to because of your disability. Yeah. Um, you know, there will be maybe some other things going on around the time of the termination that I, as a lawyer, look, you know, point to that say, oh, yeah, but it kind of, it was about their disability. Yeah. But no, they don't usually, I mean, sometimes, but it's rare, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times it might just be, it, it might be a reference to other things that kind of at first don't really seem to be disability related or it could just be nothing at all. Yeah. Just come into my office. I'm sorry, it's not working out. Goodbye. And um, it, when you say it could kind of be disability related, or maybe it's not, that reminds me of something that you were talking about of anxiety, those kinds yes. of things. And those are more, those are kind of the hidden mm -hmm. uh, disabilities that I'm hearing more and more about. Yes. Are you seeing more uh, cases and reference to those recently? Yes. I, um, I think that we should remember that disability does include what we call hidden disabilities. So any kind of, excuse me, mental health issue, um, intellectual, developmental, I don't want to misuse the terms, so I won't. Um, things that aren't necessary, they aren't apparent. And, um, and that's again, ties back to how we are all affected by disability. I can't throw out exact statistics, but I know the pandemic has increased levels of mental health issues to the point that are disabling for people. Yeah. 
So yes, we have seen a rise in general in employment related, and I imagine in school too, I've seen it a lot in employment that are more those internal issues. Mm -hmm. And I, I, f I feel like we're starting to hear about that more and more as we're kind of coming out of the pandemic, especially on the younger generation of how it's, you know, the isolation's yeah, kind yeah. of affecting oh there. Yeah. Um, so like I have dyslexia and yeah. so I always, especially when it comes to numbers, I'm horrible with numbers. Yeah. Um, but the isolation, I'm very outgoing, like to be in around people. And I did not like not going and, and talking with individuals yeah. or playing hockey, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it takes a toll. Uh, yeah. on your overall well-being. So, so who are, when you talk about as a lawyer taking a case, who are the people that you're taking the case against and what's kind of the pushback from them? So the people that I'm going against usually are either a school board. Um, it's usually the, it's the school. So it would be like ex elementary school, middle school, high school, but really it's the school board. Okay. So that's in the education context. Um, or if it's higher education, then it would be like just that university or college. And then in the employment, it's a company and that can range. It does have to be of a certain size, so more of a midsize or larger. Mm -hmm. So 50, it, I think, yeah, well for the ADA, it might be, 50, I thought Ten? it was 14, I believe. Okay. All right. But still, I usually see it's, it's like 50 is a good number or higher of the amount of employees. So an employer that's not just your mom and pop. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and the pushback is, it's like the right to work thing. It's, you know, we are a business and we have a right to run our business how we want. It's about the bottom line. It's not personal. It wasn't anything about this person as an individual and their characteristics. It was about we have to have X amount of production on by Fridays and that wasn't happening with this person. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is usually kind of the general pushback is we have a right as a business to run things as we see fit. Um, so in that sense, it kind of boils down to money. I feel like that's you, know, you say bottom line there. Yeah. And so, and that's really one hard thing for me because in every single one of my cases, as in, in employment, especially where, you know, and I get it because I'm, I'm representing these employees and I get that side of it that it's about like, no, the discrimination, you know, but when we get into whether it's, you know, trying to come to some kind of agreement or even all the way to full blown in court, money is, uh, you know, keeps kind of coming back to money. And um, I'm not saying that all, you know, employers or defense attorneys are, they're human beings too. That's important to remember. Um, but I think it's also important for those of us on the side of like employees, individual rights, civil, you know, disability rights to remember that, you know, things do cost money. Um, and it's, but it's, but like, I don't think you should use it as an excuse. Okay. I don't, don't like that at all. Yeah. But I think it can be disheartening sometimes for people to realize, like, wait, why are we talking? Is this really about numbers? Is this really like it's getting down to numbers here? And why, why would we just keep talking about money? What about the, the justice part? And I agree with that, just that, that sentiment. I agree. I think it should be about the, the, the rights, right? Mm -hmm. But, the employer may not be thinking coming from that no, stance. No, and they probably won't be. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean individually, like as the individuals within a company, they may not have their own kind of, but, you know, yeah, a lot of times it is more of an economic thing. And, you know, I would want to say, and I try and, like, 
before things get bad, okay, so before maybe someone gets terminated and they have to call somebody like me, <laughs> um, you know, that kind of also should be, make you know and aware that sometimes it's not, it could be still be discrimination, so I do want to point that out, but as far as it, it's not personal, I guess is what I want to say. Um, that doesn't make it right. Um, I think that cost can be used as an excuse, like, oh, it's a financial burden when it's not really. Mm -hmm. But I know that like sometimes it can just, the fact that you feel personally attacked, um, I've heard that, and I've experienced that just in general, like throughout life. I mean, if you have a disability, especially a physical, very visible one, you, you know what I'm talking about. It can feel very personal, and sometimes it's not. Um, it's still maybe against the law, but it's not that kind of personal. I hope that makes sense. But. Yeah, and um, so I feel like it would make me want to say, if they did go the economic route, say, well, we're you know, by having me on your team, we're going to do better than it would cost you as a company to have me on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, and that reminds me of the, one of the owners of Tzatziki's Mediterranean restaurant who hires a number of individuals with yeah. disability at each of their stores here in Alabama. Yes. And what he was saying is just, he's the, awesome. That yeah, way. Yeah. He's really Keith Richards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Known, shout out to him. him. Yeah. Shout out to Keith. Huh? I think he was our fourth or fifth broadcast uh, really? when we first started. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he said, you know, the turnaround for everybody at that store and the atmosphere uh, made customers want to come back, you know, economic sense uh, there. And he said it totally changed, you know, the store's environment. Yeah. It went from more of a business to a family. Yeah. Uh, um, and so that was really powerful to hear that. And then a uh, question I have for you is, uh, like, do you notice that most cases come from the first hire of an individual with a disability because I feel like once someone gets through and breaks that barrier for the company and the company sees mm -hmm. like, you, you know, the potential and the great things that are going on, right? they're more likely to have others on um, and not have the discrimination there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I can't put some firm yes behind that, but I will say that Okay, let me just say this. They may not really be the first time that someone ever who has extreme anxiety has ever worked for them, but it would probably is one of the first times they're made aware of it. Yeah. And I think you're right in that it's it's that having to be, it's that first encounter mm -hmm. with, oh, you want to work. Number one, you want to work, but you need just a little bit of a modification, accommodation. Mm -hmm. And we're just now really the past decade, a couple of few decades are just now actually doing that and pushing for it. A lot of it is like you said, it's just breaking down that barrier. Who knows? I mean, I would hope, I would hope that, I mean, I'd have people like me would be out of a job. I mean, I hate to say that, but you know, in the sense of that we wouldn't need to have lawyers coming in back on the back end going, this is what y'all did wrong. And you X, Y, Z, right. Yep. It would be better to be inclusive from the get-go, but we're not there yet. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I think that we've made a lot of leaps We have. And I don't want to be all negative. But. I'm still new to the community, but from yeah. what I read um, and you just kind of the language in the community that I'm hearing, it seems like we've made great leaps and bounds. Yes. Um, from... I'm very, uh, you know, I love the leadership that we have here in Alabama. Yes, I think we, uh, we have some great leaders here. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to Alabama kind of being spotlighted as, the other states going, hey, what are you guys doing now? Yeah, it's really working. Yeah, no, and I know I'm sounding so negative, but we do have a lot of really great things going on. And I think we seem to have a lot of 
real inclusion of people with disabilities and their families in the process, which is important, I think. Yeah, the decision making. And right. we have the World Games coming up. I, think I know. This is the first World Games where there is uh, an accessible um, sport being added to it. I heard that yet. Yeah, I, I don't know what game it is, but it, I don't know I if it's murder ball. Either. It might be rugby. I think it might be wheelchair okay. rugby. But that's, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing cool things. Yeah. Um, now we've talked about some of the cases. What are um, some success stories? I know you mentioned that, <clears throat> you know, if you come to an agreement or those types of things, what, what would a success story look like if someone reaches out to you and you take the case? Um, so, well, from a school perspective, because I think that's an even good, better way to show, like in the school environment, it would be someone, a student, no matter where they are in their education, elementary or even, you know, associate, technical, whatever, then being able to continue their program, get the accommodations they need, and it not be too much of a thing to where it just side, sidetracks their entire path. Because, you know, that's the worst case scenario that can happen is that, that people get not in their pro they kicked out of the program etc so and a success story is for me is when i've been able to either with the parent or if they're old enough with the student be able to come help them navigate before a lawsuit is filed especially in education um navigate and come to some kind of accommodate like integration and accommodation to where they are able to participate and grow as a person um in an employment context i mean you know aside from some kind of after leaving the employer resolution, you know, I would like more of these. I don't know how to, but a, a success story for me would be like not having to go to court. It will be able to just navigate getting an accommodation and the employee keeping their job and being able to thrive in their job. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I can't, I don't know exactly why. There's probably a lot of factors why that doesn't, those aren't the cases that end up on my desk. And I don't think it's just me. I think it's just in the general employment thing. But so most cases that end up on your desk are after they're the after the fact. Left. But I mean, I I will say I am open as an attorney to getting those calls. You know, I can't speak for everybody, but I personally am open to getting calls that are about how do I? I haven't been fired. I'm not being threatened of being fired, but I'm really struggling with this accommodation process. Or how should I frame it? Or what are my rights before I request anything? I would love to get that call and help. I haven't I've received some, but I think I think it goes back to just people not knowing that yeah. they can. And also like, ooh, do I want to pull an attorney in right now? And so, but I always, in those instances where I've done that, I've always tried to maintain not a super adversarial at that point, not be super, you know, <laughs> I'm going to come and get you unless yeah. it's needed. But if, if it's, you know, it's all case specific. It's all depends on the person, what's really going on. But um, that would mean, to me, that would be the real success. I mean, I know that means like no litigation for my other fellow attorneys, but that would be the goal. That would be what would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Have a seamless flow there. Now, if you get a call like that, um, are there organizations that you will refer to or? Yeah. So, um, well, ADAP, Alabama um, Disability Advocacy Program. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I Shout out Mr. Tucker. That's right. Um, they're an amazing organization. Uh, I know that, you know, they, they, they are great. I mean, they're really great. So they're one that I would definitely say you should go check them out. Um, 
even when you were think, talking about the work environment yeah. and accommodations, uh, it made me think of ADRS and yes, how there they, are. Yeah, yeah. No, voc voc ADRS um, is an awesome. Um, and especially with helping navigate, you know, working with a voc rehab counselor, mm -hmm. um, I know it helped me a lot and, uh, and is out there. But sometimes people, I mean, I'll just be, you know, they are well past. Well, first of all, those programs, I will say this, ADRS, I believe, is you could be in your mid, say, mid-30s, never been plugged into it. But if you went to them, I do believe that if you go through the right steps, you can jump on board. I think that's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think <laughs> so, at any age. Yes, you can. And I say that because, see, I, you know, personally did it from high, through high school, through college. I connected as a minor, right? Mm -hmm. But I, and, and I think some people's perception is it has to be that way, that you have to have connected through school. But I don't think so. So if you are a worker and you need to reach out to ADRS, vocational rehab, for sure. And those are free, you know, those are services that are provided, like they're for you out there, you know. Yeah. And they're a huge organization. Yes. And they're throughout the state. Um, yeah. So no matter where you are, they can exactly help Exactly. So. Yeah. When you were talking about the work environment there, I was like, I wonder if she's like, you know, if you need some, some adaptive equipment, ADRS is your yes, go-to. Like exactly. There might be some things that in that situation where if they contact me for their legal part that, but I know that, oh, you might need X, Y, Z. I'm not in the position to do that. I would definitely send them that way of ADRS. Um, now you mentioned that, um, sometimes you'll go to court. How many, how often do you go to, cause that's, so that's actually, scary for me. Oh, see, that's actually what I mainly do. Okay. I mainly do cases where I'm filing lawsuits and it's just most of the time those lawsuits are when people in the employment context have been terminated. And that comes down to just the law and damages and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you can file lawsuits without someone being terminated, but I won't go down the rabbit hole trying to explain that. But a lot of times I'm in court and that's actually most of what I do is being in court. I love it. I can do tell you? you yes, yes. I see it on TV and I'm like, oh my gosh, well, I would get eaten so, alive there. Um, you know... But it's a, it's a scary thing. I mean, I'm doing it from, it's my profession. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know, doctors are amazing. Definitely not comparing myself to a doctor. But it's kind of, I, I would think kind of like when a surgeon is like going into surgery. This is just my, this is what I do. This is what I've been trained to do. So, of course, I'm nervous in other ways. But my clients are nervous in a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's scary for them and Part of my job, I feel like, is also to be aware of that, which is more of almost a counseling, counseling kind of um, mentor. Right. That's a big part of it, especially if you work with just individuals, you're representing individuals or their families. Mm -hmm. It's very one-on-one, -on -one, which I really love a lot. Um, but but like yeah, I'm in court. That's mainly what I'm doing is in court. <laughs> so um, how many cases have you had... Um, in any given time frame that you like to reference either a year or since you began oh gosh like the number i mean it's been i don't really i mean it's it's i have over i mean i don't even know like i don't want to say my exact caseload but it's i have several like several dozen cases going on at once currently active cases yeah and majority of those will end up going into court yeah they're in court and at some stage of the process okay mm -hmm. and so it doesn't all look Perry Mason the whole time. <laughs> Actually, unfortunately, I kind of wish it was more like that. I'm just kidding. Uh, I always <laughs> no, think. No, but of... like it can be at different stages. So like some, it's like I just filed that lawsuit. 
Um, and some are kind of coming yeah, to but an I, end. The reason why I struggle to say, oh, well, this X number is because every attorney is different. And I do like to try and maintain a focus on quality too, mm -hmm. because I really want to make sure I'm giving attention to every single client. And that does make you like, I, I am selective about the number of cases I have because I want to make sure that I'm giving my full attention, you know, and I think any attorney, would, that's what I've learned from mentors and, and just through trial and error too, right? Is you, that I want to, I want to be able to take the cases that it might require a lot of hours or work and digging, but I mean, I love to solve puzzles and dig it. So, um, for me, that's how I like to, to work. So, I mean, I have a lot of cases, but then at the same time, I take cases that I really, A, I'm very passionate about. I'm, I guess you could say sold, you know, on the, the person's story. Yeah. And well, that, that makes right. sure that you put in your best if you're, exactly. if I mean, you no, believe in no, it. Yeah, exactly. I want to be able to give, I'm not one that I don't take cases and file them thinking, you know, open to, to say some kind of settlement. Yes. But I don't, I don't file cases thinking like we're just going to go and settle. I, you know, if I'm filing a case, I want to advocate for him until it becomes obvious and reasonable to do otherwise, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I can definitely understand that because you want to, you want to do good work and it's a, it's a relationship. Right. You, it you're is. creating That's relationship exactly. there. Exactly. Um, now you mentioned voc rehab was, um, something that you took advantage of. Um, yeah. what are some success stories of self and family adv advocacy from your upbringing? Oh yes. So yes, voc rehab was, I was really amazing. It helped me. A, I learned how to drive. Um, I, I got the adaptive equipment and that whole entire program is amazing. But also even before that in college, I had my counselor was helped pay for, you know, help offset and with some, get the tools I needed. It's really the best way to put it, to be able to live on campus when I was there at Birmingham Southern mm -hmm. undergrad. And so that helped me be involved. It was, you know, Birmingham Southern is a small liberal arts school. So being a part of the community is even more important, right? I mean, it's important at any school. Um, and so I, uh, assistive technology is another big one, not just my car, but then like a you know, dictation system in my computer, a desk, I have a desk that up, goes up and down. So Vogue Rehab was very, very key in helping me get the tools that I needed mm -hmm. from, especially like from high school, college, law school, and then into just coming out of law school. Cause I went straight through. So yeah, yeah. that's a lot of school. Oh my gosh. Back yeah. to back. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have, um, uh, McCartney Hagar, who's also an independent contractor with Alabama Care, so she does her own broadcast. Yeah, um, she is a freshman at UAB, uh, yeah. and uh, we met through ADRS um, cool. and yeah. some of the services there. And yeah. um, she was just speaking on <clears throat> did a broadcast on accessibility in the airlines and the number of chairs that will get damaged or lost. I believe it. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. So bringing she's bringing to light a lot of cool things. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm excited for her to continue That's growing cool. in school. But she was kind of talking about how yeah. ADRS helped navigate that and you know yeah. getting connected to uab services yes. and that kind of stuff so yeah it's very important to do yes. um you have a quote uh on your website and this may go back to something you said earlier you said your case shouldn't be a bigger disability than your disability what does that mean so you know i just thinking about that when i started my firm sometimes you know it, it, things can take a life of, it's like they take on a life of their own um, what becomes, you know, a mountain into like a mole 
mountain. It's a molehill. Is that what you did? Like a in a mound a, or something? Yeah, like it becomes like a grain of salt turns into a huge mountain. Okay. Oh yeah. And, you know, of of just what was a small could have been a small issue can just get out of proportion, and and also I think internally individuals with disability. I say that's for myself. Can sometimes feel like if they're encountering something like discrimination at school or work, that this is such a huge problem. And how am I going to get through this? And I guess I would say, and I told myself, you know, well, yeah, but you have overcome so much just with your own being, being you, you know, not to, and I don't want to glorify it in a, in a, a way that's kind of, you know, I don't, there's, should be over inspirational because that's a whole other story. I think people with disabilities can be ins be inspirational, whatever. And I think we're just we're people, right? But I say this to say, you know, if you are able to get through what you've gotten through as a person with whatever limitations you might have, internal or external, then what you're facing at school or work, you got it. You can do it. That's really what I was thinking, really for myself and for others. I mean, I, and it's true. It can feel like in the process, even for me as an attorney, that this problem here, whatever, say, you know, it's the accommodation at school or work is so big and so impossible to overcome. And just remember that it's, it's not okay. I mean, because other people around and in, in, in the situation might be, have that attitude like it is. Um, yeah. it kind of reminds me of <laughs> like coming into challenges earlier in life yes. um, and overcoming those kind of sharpens and fine tunes your tools. It does. And so you <laughs> kind of have a leg up on hard work and determination as opposed to maybe some of your peers that haven't experienced those challenges at yeah. that point in their life. Um, so it's... I think so. I mean, I think whether it's physical or internal, it when you have them from a young age, whether you realize it or not, you become very creative, um, come up with lots of solutions. You just do. Um, and, and you don't realize it until sometimes, you know? Yeah. And you make these, these yeah. models that help you navigate exactly. either school or yeah. work or whatever that relationships. Um, but you figure that out when you're young. And so it kind of it yeah. kind of helps in a way and it gives a little bit of confidence. It does. See, and that is a strength, you know, for all, I feel like there's so much emphasis on the, the different, how people with disabilities are different and, and it's like this negative tone to it. And, but you know, that's a strength Yeah. that if you have any kind of limitation, you do have a one up, I mean, on others and perseverance, creativity. And like I said, you may not even realize it. So, I mean, I was very shy when like in middle school age and high school. So I, I do not believe that. I know, You're right? very I'm like, well, no, no. But I was, I know. I, yeah, I was though. And that's why I say you may not even realize it because I didn't really realize it. I was so shy. I didn't realize that. How, you know what? You're pretty, you know, creative and like your uniqueness and the way you're different. It's not just ooh negative. It's actually to your advantage yeah. sometimes. Yeah. You know, um, no, I have, uh, and and I think that's true. I mean, I think anybody with limitations could you. I mean, have gotten through a lot that some people are just coasting. Didn't have those troubles, those challenges, right, and you like figured it out. Yeah, it's know, like adversity. Way. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like that mentality. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, 
I'd like to talk a little bit about somebody may be thinking that they are being discriminated against yeah. at school or yeah. at work. Um, and maybe they have read their rights and they have some understanding of their rights and they're thinking that they need to contact a lawyer, but they may hold back thinking, I can't do that. It's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. I've heard it's, you know, this and that. So they kind of may be fearful to pick up the phone and make that first call. What would you say to somebody there? And if yeah. you could kind of ballpark, you know, tell them it's not going to, they're not going to have to sell the house or something. Like yeah, that. no, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, because look, I mean, it's true. I mean, lawyers and it's expensive. <laughs> um, so in that situation, I would say, um, you know, there are great organizations like ADAP, for instance, that don't cost. And so they would be a frontline resource. I, uh, I don't know, but I think, you know, as far as research, and then, but as far as private attorneys, okay. Um, many will talk to you. I will, um, at no cost for, you know, an hour, right? Um, and personally, I, you know, I try and find the most minimal cost solution, even if that means like, you know, I'm only going to make X, I'll be able to put in X amount of hours, so I'll get X amount of money. I mean, I hate to talk, yeah, well, talk about the money and the numbers here, but it's a reality. So, you know, that's how I do it. So I will, like, if I think, okay, well, like maybe it, we could try and have a meeting and they'll, and so I would give some kind of estimate of it'll take this number of hours and which would be roughly X amount. Right. So, mm -hmm. which is for me, wouldn't be like thousands and thousands and thousands, right. For something that's like, okay, if we just tackle it in this specific way, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, outside of filing a lawsuit, like in that before stages, right. Where you're just trying to figure out what do I need to do? I think that, I mean, I'm open and I'm sure some others are too, to doing something that's more in line with someone's actual ability to pay. Mm -hmm. um, it's case by case then. It's case by case. I mean, so that's why I can't throw out like a number. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, that would be awesome. But then at the same time, it is so case specific and what someone needs. Are there um, resources other than ADAP where there are um, um, opportunities for like scholarships or like uh, something that would help offset some of the legal? You ever oh, heard? I don't know. That's actually a good question. I, don't I honestly know don't know that off the top of my head, but you're making me want to yeah. figure that out. I don't know um, if there is either, but um, you said like the first hour, you know, it's just a conversation. So yeah. don't ever be fearful to pick up that yes. phone and just learn. Right. Exactly. So yes. I mean, the consultation is, you know, at that point, you know, I'm or any other attorney is like not officially the person's attorney, but it's just really just having a conversation with them, yeah. trying to figure out what's going on and giving some kind of advice. Um, the yeah. only, okay, just, you know, legal aid, legal services, um, there's, there's organizations within every city. They may be another program that you could kind of filter through, mm -hmm. I guess, like go through them and then maybe say, I want to use this attorney volunteer lawyer. There's a lot of volunteer lawyers program. I mean, if you just Google your county and volunteer lawyers program, I can't speak. I know all of those organizations though, they have their own boards. They have their own separate. They're not like ADRS where it's like through the state. It's mm. very local. So you really kind of would have to see their feel on it, but that would be another option. Yeah. And that's something that can come up in discussion. If right. it's I just mean, not a right like, thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's so case specific, but if I'm talking to someone and, you know, it's getting close to like, I really, I can't talk to them all day. Right. But I know that they could, might need X, Y, Z help. And it seems like 
I mean, I always will ask, I'm very upfront at some point in conversation, I'll be like, listen, you know, what is your financial ability? I'll say it some yeah. way like that, because that's, I don't want, I don't personally want to put any family in a situation where it's like, oh, wait, we it's were using your or, services and then we're getting this X, Y, Z, no, you know. Yeah. You don't um, want to put somebody in a situation where we we're, we want a case or do we want bread on the table? Exactly. No, I don't think anybody, I, that shouldn't be anything thing. and it doesn't have to be i guess it's like he's like within that hour and i mean or you know i just i'm would be willing to try and help someone figure it out yeah you know um <clears throat> i'd like to ask you if everybody knew one law or one act okay. here in alabama um what would that be uh that they would act on so is there one specific act or rule or law that you like i i wish everybody is in middle school they learned this in fifth grade or sixth grade or family i'm trying to think so honestly i think it's something we've already mentioned but that whole right to work thing with uh which is true okay alabama being in right to work knowing that there's this thing called the americans with disabilities act and there is Title II. You don't even have to remember Title II, okay? But which is the employment aspect of it. It's the whole part of the stat, the law that deals with employment. Overrides the right to work. That really honestly would be, I wish more people knew that. Yeah, because I feel like when people hear that, the right to work, they feel like, oh, well, the company can do whatever they right, want. Right, they don't have to grant, they, they don't, not. And it kind of gets morphed into not just termination, but it gets, it becomes just, they can do whatever they want. It's not just like about firing. It's just they get to run their company however they want, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. That's not true. The they, law says that's not true. They fall under the, the right. state, United States of America. Right. It's not just Alabama laws they fall under. They also follow under federal law, and they have for several decades now. So it's not even a new thing. It's getting everybody up right. to speed. It's more like getting the community on board. Yeah. That's one thing people should know. What would you say to parents of a child with a disability? Um, that, you know, I, so I have, I have family members who are teachers. So I love, I do like teachers. I love teachers. So I want to say that before I say this, but don't, to the families, don't be afraid to question a recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, I think there should be a healthy level of trust in educators for sure. I don't think that all educators, I think there are amazing educators out there who want to do the right thing. A lot of times they do want to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, don't be afraid to question. But also remember that it, it's a balance, I would say, for a family. Sometimes I I've, I've, can see situations where it gets the parent, like there's no meeting of the minds at all, unfortunately, because... Everyone's kind of in a standoff. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, everybody on the school versus the family that it gets to that point which is unfortunate because it might have started to where we're all in this together and there's kind of that goes more into communication and not necessarily even the law but i think what worries me the most is though is when i see people rely just solely on well that's the recommendation that the school's given and it might be the best thing i'm you know like i said you can't discount educators and the training they've had okay but don't be afraid to just respectfully say, I'd like, 
I'd like a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Or because the law offers you things like that, second opinions. Um, I've heard that used, uh, parents say that also with doctors uh, when their child is young. Yes, 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 yes. And and speaking up at that point, like, well, I don't know if that's the best thing for my son or my daughter. Uh, but yeah. having that, that advocacy to, to stand your ground and I heard it really came down to, you know, you know, your baby better than the doctors do Yeah, exactly. kind of thing. You know, they might have the clinical blood test up, but you know how your son or daughter is at home over the night. They don't see that. Yeah. And so you have to have good communication and say, no, I, you know, this is what I'm seeing uh, yeah. and give that feedback there. I get a lot of, um, individual or parents that'll, that will call and say, uh, my son or my daughter is transitioning out of the traditional mm-hmm. school system um, and looking either for work or, you know, whatever that looks like, long-term living. Um, what would you, and it's a struggle there, that transition period. Yeah. So, and I, we're thinking, so, I don't know, I think I know what you're going to want me to talk about here is, well, the transition and yeah. kind of. I get a lot of parents that say like, well, how do I navigate that? Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> I was like, we're on the same yeah yeah. Here. yeah so what would you say to parents so and and this is coming also from my own personal place too of um and it kind of goes back to the school part of it okay back when they're in k through 12 school so um and why it's like important to say i know my baby best but also remember that at some point this person's going to be your, your child's going to be transitioning out to society and i mean i i I know that I personally just wanted to be like everybody else. And, um, and, and to an extent that's not going to be true, which is not a bad thing, right? Because I'm, I have limitations. Well, you're you, you're unique. Exactly. Everybody's person. Unique. I mean, it's not just people with disabilities, but I think the transition, this in a broad sense, when I've thought about it for myself and then just kind of seeing the community, like just my own observations personally, it seems sometimes that, um, like there can be such a, even by families and friends, uh, this is the special, unique person. And that can have a backfire. It can make that, it can make you as a person with an individual, a person with a disability, I'm saying this more maybe from a personal place, feel more ostracized. Mm. You, you, you know, and I think sometimes I've seen just personally here, not as an attorney actually, but just personally where it's like, there's a good heart coming from maybe family and friends. Yeah. But over time, I'm talking about something that's probably, you know, over time that they're special, they're special, they're special. When they get to that transition point, and I'm, you know, this is very broad observation, but that can be an underlying thing that's like, this person's been called special and, and singled out so much mm-hmm. growing up. Um, and, and, and not just by like people in a bad way, but just also maybe in a very loving way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. From a very, very loving place. It's, but it's, part about being in society is, hey, we are all unique, right? We all have different shades of everything and we're all great, and which is awesome. But there is also part of being part of the collective, mm-hmm. being a part of the group. And I just know internally, if you feel like you're different, even if it's a good different, but you're different, I guess... You have to remember people with disabilities also, there's a lot of physical, like you are in this classroom over here. There's a lot of physical separation, even with intellectual disabilities. Yeah. And so psychologically, I'm not a psychologist, but that to me 
is a big part. I know I'm getting kind of deep here, but and it, like remember, I guess as a family that your child, you want them to be a part of society, and I think obviously every parent does. You know, they want them to feel loved and have friends and you know do what they want to do and grow and thrive like everybody right well being like everybody means that sometimes they are part of the group and they're not unique i don't know how else to put it i hope i've conveyed it yeah in a way and i think you know for me i know that personally like my family has always been more i mean i've struggled with what i'm talking about to myself but i've also had some influence of like not being treated different when I didn't need to be okay. Mm -hmm. Like when it was like, like overcompensation, right? Like, or letting me like slack. Because, oh yeah. I mean, and if you, I mean, people, families with disabilities, you might know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, if I can do a chore and I'm physically capable of doing it, for instance, not saying I can't do it. Oh, because I'm disabled when, but actually there's a way you could do your chore. Yeah. So That's what I'm talking about. Not being pushed as much. Uh, I want to say sometimes, well, I mean, but like you could do better that and sometimes and we expectation. need that we expectations need, what I thank you yeah, yeah i just love it that, yeah you know what i wish i had started with that word that's what i'm talking about is expectations and it i guess what i'm saying is it doesn't just start it's not just expectations from school officials and employers it does it's within your family too yeah and i don't mean to sell i'm like i'm trashing families because i don't think again i really think it's everything is from a loving place i really do but sometimes what i see is like it within myself and then just from others if there's a client whatever it's just that it's more of the mindset yeah it's eliminating beliefs that you're putting on others exactly which is part of that society too okay you yeah. can't just blame it all and i don't want to just blame it on like xyz parent you know mm -hmm. but it's changing the way we think about like yeah we're all different but different in a way that's that helps all of us grow not different in the way that is inhibiting mm -hmm. sometimes i'll see um I don't know if that, that was a long winded. That was story. perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll see like a helicopter parent where they're yeah. not, they're not allowing their child um, to, there was a quote I saw one time and it said, it's very important when your child is, is learning to do dangerous things. Mm -hmm. um, you cannot like intercede there. They have to do that. Whether that's crossing like a little stream with rocks exactly. on it and it may be slippery. You can't say, no, don't do that and pick them up. You have to let them explore. Uh, you know, so they kind of see what that looks like and learn and, and grow that way. But then the other end is, is like, you know, as a parent, you're not you're probably not always going to be there for your child. You yeah. know, there's going to be a time when you're not there and they need the skills to navigate exactly. their life and what they want without you being there and telling everybody, well, they're special or whatever that looks like. For right. And, I, and I, exactly. Exactly. And look, I'm not a parent, so I cannot, I don't even want to start to say that I know all about parenting because I do not, yeah, do I. but I know I am speaking though from being that child and not, and I'm not even talking about my parent, but just in general. Yeah. It, it, the messages that you receive as a person with a disability, as far as like, you know, you have to go sit over here or, um, Oh no, you're on a special track or I think, and maybe this is something that's like beyond the, like the way we frame that, I think mm -hmm. we frame that to people growing up mm -hmm. the way it's framed, because I, I know for me, that was one thing that I've had to overcome just, and it's because that message was received on a lots of different fronts. Okay. Like it was more, that's why it's like a broader thing. Right. It's like the system was set it's up. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, we need to shift that to 
um, not like in inhibiting, but more how are you like, you're more persevering, you're more creative. Like, yeah, we're gonna do things a little differently for you, but this is how awesome, this is the way it's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, having that, even just having that attitude about it, when it comes down to say like, to circle back to your transition, like transition time, mm -hmm. I think if that, if that in general, that attitude has been fostered with a child, like since someone was a child growing up through school of more, yeah, things are different, but look how awesome it is and look how much you can participate with everyone else versus the overall general attitude of, okay, this is, this is overall more negative. Okay. Yeah. This is the track when that it, people. Right. You got to go do this other special track and it's different, it's so different and it's so um, it's not with everybody else and more emphasis on how it's not like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, Using more and the negative, and I say not, I want to emphasize not like, like in that negative way and like a transition time, you know, it's not like, you know, it's, it's a new chapter. It is a new chapter with new struggles. Um, and there's, and it's, there's always time to change and grow. So maybe someone's, you know, the past is the past, right? But so Start now. <laughs> I mean, you can always retrain. I mean, uh, you know, reframe your mindset at any point. I don't, you know, it's not doomed for anybody, you yeah. know, but that is part of it. It's, it does start in the, your mindset. Yeah. We're different people than we were when we walked in the door. Exactly. So yeah. I don't want to keep. Get the books, get the, the audio. Here. You know, yeah. if you, you know, want to speak to somebody, speak to somebody, but you can change that mentality there. Exactly. Um, so I'd like to talk about um, Birmingham Southern, your alum. Um, has uh, awarded you the 2019 People Who Are Changing Birmingham yeah, Award. Yeah. So I, I was so humbled by that. I mean, they just they reached out and said, oh, we're good. I was like, wow. Um, so BSC was um, really, a really amazing experience and for me. And, and I did get support through programs like ADRS to be able to do that where I was. I lived on campus and I was involved in organizations. So I was on student government, which... I was not like in high school. I mean, I just, and that's not for, that was just, I was shy. You kind of blossomed uh, in I college. I blossomed, but I lived on campus. I had, you know, home health. I, I don't mind, you know, home health aides come in, um, which was something that ADRS helped me coordinate and that kind of thing, um, which is why it's important to get plugged into in, not just ADRS, but services. Yep. Um, so, but Birmingham Southern, I, I think, I, I don't know why they chose the exact, I mean, like, I, you know, I, you can read the article. It was amazing. It was, I was so flattered, but I think, I mean, I, I will say this and it's not, I think it's not to do with Birmingham Southern specifically, but because there have been people with very obvious physical limitations that have gone to school there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really, this is, I think this is higher education in general, but it is, we're not the norm. I say we, as in those very obvious physical limitations, not the norm within, um, uh, higher education. I don't want to apply that super broadly because my experience is limited, but I think, you know, like I know there was nobody else in my graduating class that had a very obvious like physical limitation like I did. Mm -hmm. I had probably the most, uh, a limited, you know, I had the, I don't know, limiting disability. I don't know. I, I was the only one that had any kind of obvious physical limitation. It wasn't just from like, oh, I broke my leg or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and so, um, but then at the same time, I was felt like I was part of the community. Well, you were a student leader there. You, yeah, as you I was. I was. And I remember being very flattered that my peers um, elected me. I ran for SGA, right? They hold freshman elections right at the beginning of the year. 
right? During orientation. Nobody knows anybody. Right. Yeah, you don't really know anybody unless you like the few people maybe that came from your high school or something, but no. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, my peers elected me. It was so cool. I just, I could still remember being elected and thinking, oh my gosh. That's amazing. Um, and so, and that just really did set, for me personally, set the tone for my experience there. But I lived on campus, went and ate the cafeteria with everybody else. I still had did some things differently because I needed to in order to navigate life. Um, but, and you, re I feel like, um, <laughs> you know, for, for your peers to see you in those leadership roles was really important for them and for the school there. I, yeah, I think so. It's hard for me to speak, right? Cause I'm coming from my, but I think that really did. I didn't realize it. I definitely didn't realize it at the time, Yeah. but for me, someone like me that, when I walk into a room, because I have a little bit of a different walk, right? And I sat at a special desk, like a desk that was a little, maybe a little different because it was easier for me to sit at. Those kind of things, my physical presence there, I mean, it, it impacted them in a positive way. Yeah. But in a way that, right. And, succeed in life. Yeah. And so, but I wasn't, I'll just be honest, I really wasn't aware of it. I was just like bebopping around thinking, <laughs> oh gosh, being a normal college kid in many other ways. Okay. You know, so. Um, but I was very flattered that they, I did uh, a <laughs> student government sophomore year in college. Oh, really? yeah. yeah. And it helps you do, it helps it you did. get involved. It was, that was very empowering for me as a person in general, but I think also as a person with a disability, because I mean, I felt like I was like, you know, sitting around at the round table in SGA room, I was part of the leadership. And yeah. so that's what's important academics aside for people to get plugged in and what, in whatever way, you know, if you have with limitations, internal or external disability, doesn't matter because there's some, that's part of the transition too. Yeah. That's actually, it goes back to the transition that helped me transition getting involved. And I, you know, was in a joint Greek life and, but even if I hadn't done that, I mean, I got into SGA, I became involved in some, several organizations. Yeah. You have to be involved in the, in, in society too. Yes. And that's going back into just being involved. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I think, uh, I think it's important to be involved in different aspects of your and, local community. Yeah. And you be brave and not everybody, you know, you will still encounter it, people who don't get it or don't understand whatever, you know, your limitation, but just be brave. It'll help you in the end. Yes. And you'll have more fun. Oh yeah. It was fun. It was great. So what are some, what are the future plans for Ray Law? So, um, well, I, I really want to, we've kind of touched on some in general of the, just the focus of mine is really going to be trying to expand more of just giving people knowledge of their legal rights. So, um, maybe more of a, not, I mean, consulting sort of, uh, just yeah. more, I enjoy litigation. I do like going to court, but I also really want to make sure that I'm addressing the real needs of a com the community and not just Ashley likes going to court <laughs> <laughs> because that's not always the best solution. So the future for Ray Law, one big thing for me going forward is just awareness. And we we're lucky to live in an age that is very digital social media. I think I'm a graphic artist. I'm not, but I think I'm a designer in my head. <laughs> so I get into it. And, and so that's where I'm, as far as like, I, I want to definitely grow my platform as far as informing people of their rights and making it a little more easy, maybe cost effective, like small flat rate type things. I don't have everything worked out yet, but that's on the horizon for me. Yeah. It's to make it more of a just, oh, not just 
okay, come to me and we'll go to court. Mm -hmm. You know, um, no, that sounds amazing. Getting the word out and yeah. educating yeah, and informing I, the community. Yeah, and because I don't work, you know, I'm not funded by any, <laughs> I'm a private person. Okay, I'm a private attorney, so sometimes I can say things that maybe other people can't. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't have a conflict of interest sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I would like to be that, help, be one of those voices out there that are just speaking to, this is the law from just a private citizen's perspective really yeah and ha not having some of the filters maybe others uh, exactly have. like it, giving yeah. it to you raw is yeah like... i mean you know i will obviously go by with exactly like with the the alabama bar and, and be respectful um, you know but but i don't have a lot of the filters yeah the others that work within other agencies or organizations they do just by nature of i'd know. be interested in learning more um later about some of those uh ideas you have for educating that sounds very on par with what alabama care yeah so i'd like to have that conversation yes we should yeah um are there any upcoming events that you would recommend individuals or families uh attend whether it's virtual or in person coming up here in alabama you know, I honestly don't know any off the top of my head. I wish yeah, I did. Um, I would say, I mean, your programming is awesome. Oh, I thank mean, I you. I'm really, um, I would just say that any kind of information, so we're getting into, especially from education, we're in the second part of the year going up to graduation, you know, even if you're, someone's not in at the full actual transition point, you know, just, Look, be on the lookout for events because they're, they're out there like being held. They're probably held virtually now. Um, a lot of them by ADRS or your counseling off of just the things like that. Yeah. Don't be afraid to attend. Even if on the, the face of it, you're like, well, I know what the IDEA is, right? I, I get that. I get it. But you never, you know. You might pick up something new. You, or might, you might meet somebody. Exactly. Now. So I don't know any specific event, but I would say just stay be, involved. Stay in involved. Right. Yeah. And as we come to a close here. I always like to ask, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think an individual or a family member could benefit from hearing? I just, I think that I want, I would really want people to know that, you know, it is possible to live a, a, a thriving life where you feel, you know, good. I mean, life is hard, but life is great too. And I think that we, as, as this is a cultural thing, but it starts in, with each and every one of us in our own hearts and minds that disability does not mean equal, not full life mm. for somebody. That is just the ultimate thing that I want people to know. It's possible. It's possible. It is completely possible. Don't listen to the, as they say, don't listen to the haters. Yeah. Okay. All you, right. <laughs> you always have haters, but they're right. usually cheering from the stands when you're on the field. Exactly. So. so. Well, Mrs. Ray, I really appreciate you Thanks spending the morning with us here today and Thank telling you. us about everything that you do. Thanks. So, uh, and we'll talk a little bit uh, off screen about um, some future possibilities. I'd yeah. love to hear what's going on. That would be great. Well, at this time, we'll kind of look at our respective cameras and we'll say, uh, see you guys next week. And Clifton will take us out and we will.